0: We've received a unique promo code, so new users can follow our link in the description and use the promo code MAXPOOL. That's M-A-X-P-O-O-L. Thanks to Marvel Strike Force for sponsoring this episode
2: hello
3: everyone and welcome to the slash film show today is thursday october 26th 2023 on today's episode we are going to gather around the virtual water cooler and talk about what we've been up to my name is ben pearson i'm an editor at slashfilm.com and i'm joined on today's episode by slash film editor bj colangelo
4: hi hi hiya how's it going bj oh it's going just dandy (laughs)
3: <laughs> you just got done uh, doing some interviews for slashfilm.com. So I just want to tease that. Just, you know, I'm not even going to say with who. Just, you know, stay tuned to slashfilm.com to see BJ's coverage. Uh, It'll people...
4: be in November, like first week in November.
3: Awesome. Yeah, which is not as far away as it sounds. Um, okay, so let's uh, let's get into what we've been doing. Uh, as you can probably still hear from my voice, I'm still a little bit sick. I got COVID uh, because my wife and I went to see our favorite band, The Midnight. I uh, actually saw them twice. We saw them here uh, near, near where I live in Jacksonville, Florida. And then uh, my sister and her husband live in Orlando. And The Midnight was going to be playing in Orlando, I think it was two nights after they played in Jacksonville. And so we <laughs> we bought tickets for both um, and saw the same show, essentially, uh, in two different venues, which was a lot of fun. And, um, man, I love this band. They're, like, my favorite band, and uh, I've seen them several times live, and they just keep getting better and tighter, and, like, the show keeps getting more and more impressive. And this was my first time seeing them uh, with, like, the official band lineup all, you know, in, in, in uh, performing at the same time. Uh, a lot of times I'd seen them previously where, like, certain people hadn't joined the band yet or like somebody was out due to uh, other commitments or whatever. So it was really great to, uh, to experience, um, seeing my favorite band live was awesome. Uh, and then we also had a chance since we went to universal, we'd sort of like made a weekend out of it and went to universal studios in Orlando, which I haven't been to in many, many years. Um, have you ever been to universal BJ?
4: Oh yeah, um, I go to the one out in Hollywood quite a bit, but I haven't been to the one in Orlando since I was a kid and got scarred for life because they had giant uh, T-1000 like, like his skeletons <laughs> walking around and I was not cool with that as a kid. And now I forever have like a little bit of unease whenever I watch Terminator movies because a little little thing in the back of my brain is like, remember when you were seven walking around Universal and Terminators were looking at you? <laughs>
3: Those things are real. They're not just a, they're not just part of a movie. Um yeah, that's great. Man, yeah, the uh sadly, Universal Studios Orlando no longer has I, I want to say it was called uh I don't remember what it was called. It, it was like a, a a Terminator a Terminator stage show. Um mm-hmm. that was like a 3D ride kind of experience. You you sat there and it was more of a Um, like actors, like guy rode a motorcycle out on a stage at one point. But yeah, you put on 3D glasses, and this was like way before the 3D boom of Avatar and all that. Um, But yeah, anyway, that was a lot of fun. But they retired that several years ago in order to make like a born stunt spectacular that I've heard is not very good. So it seems like a bad choice, Universal. But.
4: What Uh, I'm hearing is that means I can come back and not have like a minor anxiety attack in public?
3: (laughs) Yes, that's 100% correct. Perfect. Uh, (laughs) Although I would say, I don't know, I, I would just warn people who are getting old and I count myself among them. I'm now 38 years old and I rode Harry Potter and the Forbidden Journey, which is a motion simulator slash roller coaster ride. You're like hanging... You're you know you're like strapped into the ride and it like flings you all throughout the Hogwarts castle, but you're so it's a a combination of actually being moved through a space, but also um, watching like you're moved through a space and then you're sort of parked in a certain area and you watch uh, action take place in front of you on a screen that's meant Mm -hmm. to be like immersive, like you're flying around with Harry Potter on a. uh, you know, over the Quidditch pitch or whatever. And uh, I just like nearly vomited just from like all the, uh, <laughs> I don't know, the motion stuff. I was like, wow, I am definitely getting old and this stuff is no longer for me. It, I guess like the actual riding of Um, of rides at an amusement park is kind of a young man's game and I'm no longer uh, in that demographic apparently. So I mean, uh, I tapped
4: out a long time ago. I grew up near Six Flags Great America and they do all the DC stuff and they had a Superman ride where the big thing is that you sit in it and then it pulls you up so that you're doing like a Superman position like you're flying. But all that does is mean your entire body weight is like laying on top of the harnesses to keep you from falling. So you're just getting pulled and it sucks it's awful <laughs> uh
3: well yeah um you know take that as you will for anybody who's considering uh going to a theme park but other otherwise i really enjoy the experience of like walking around and being in the you know enjoying like the theming of the areas and john williams just has that place on lock you know there's like jurassic oh, park God, stuff yeah. there's um there's harry potter stuff there's uh, there used to be a Jaws area. There's a back. There used to be Back to the Future stuff there. But like his scores are sort of um, emulating out of those, uh, you know, those little like fake rocks that have speakers built into them and stuff. As you're walking <laughs> all throughout, so that's um, just a cool experience. But uh, what have you been up to recently, BJ?
2: I
4: got a humongous new tattoo. <laughs> that's what I've been up to.
3: I saw a picture of this, and it is incredible. Um, I think you posted it somewhere right you put did you put it on instagram oh yeah or? i put
4: it's on my instagram it's on twitter but if you are a fan of phantom of the paradise um i got a like a half sleeve on my shoulder of winslow playing the piano um i sat for nine hours which is the longest i've ever sat for a tattoo and i have a couple of like bigger pieces but i've never sat for that long before but uh the I do want to shout out the artist Uh, their name is Marissa Gray in Anaheim so if you're gonna go to theme parks on this side of the country uh, there you go but uh, (laughs) they kind of specialize in horror portrait art so that is their big thing so if you're like I really want to get I don't know like a full face of art the clown they've got it they do it it's fantastic Um, But it was like a really fun experience, though, because it was also like the shop is very like pop culture-y. So I walk in and there's like anime and wrestling and horror movies. And uh, one of the artists there has the largest collection of Wolverine merchandise, like specifically comic book Wolverine I've ever seen in my life. Like this person has turned their station at a tattoo shop to basically like like a miniature museum of Wolverine figures it was amazing. Um, <laughs> so it was a really cool shop. I'm really happy with the art. Um, I'm never sitting for nine hours again, because that takes a lot out of you.
3: <laughs> yeah. So what did you actually do physically? Like, did you bring an iPad and just like load up and watch a bunch of movies while you sat there? Like, how did you spend that time?
4: So what was really cool is they had a TV, like a like a big screen TV um, in their station. So we watched Phantom of the Paradise and then we kept like movie musicals going and then we watched Rocky Horror. And then um, they asked like, well, what's your favorite horror movie? And I said, Fright Night 1985. And they're like, sick, let's watch it. So they like rented it on like Prime or something. We watched Fright Night 1985. And then to kind of uh, end things up, we were like, let's watch something that's like kind of bad, but fun. So we watched Queen of the Damned and then we had like i don't know like 20 minutes left so it was like we're just gonna put on what we do in the shadows tv show and just let it roll until it's done so we watched (laughs) stuff the whole time but i had like brought like some fangoria i brought a book that i haven't started yet um and ended up not reading anything because we just watched movies and Kind of hung out and it was great. And they also made me like a little trick-or-treat bag because you know I'm gonna be sitting for so long. It's like you gotta keep your blood sugar up. So like I had this little trick-or-treat bag with like candy and fruit snacks and like stickers in it. It was really cute.
3: That's adorable. Uh man, yeah, and your your tattoo just looks so sick. So that's that's really amazing. Yeah. Um, very cool. Yeah, highly recommend stopping by that place if you're looking to get a tattoo in the Anaheim area. Um, all right, let's get into what we've been reading. I had a chance to read a book called cast the origins of our discontents by Isabel Wilkerson. Have you ever read this BJ? Do you know
4: this book? I have not, but I know what this is, and I'm very curious to hear your take on it.
3: It's so good. It came out in 2020, and um, basically the premise of the book is uh, we all know that racism is bad and that the United States is a racist country, but what if it's more than that? What if we're actually sort of embedded in a caste system, which is like, um, for those of you who don't remember what that is because you went to public school or whatever, uh, it's sort of like this hierarchical System where um, society breaks down in different levels, basically, and are sort of uh, you know uh, some people are elevated over others, and it's it's more of like a formalized system than just um, the sort of nebula more nebulous, I guess, uh, idea of racism. And uh, Wilgerson in this book basically draws a line between um the caste systems of india which are thousands of years old and what's going on in the united states and also nazi germany so those are the three um caste systems that she sort of compares and contrasts over the course of the book and uh it's kind of shocking to realize like the nazis uh when they were trying to figure out you know the how to sub- how best to subjugate jewish people looked to the way that the American South subjugated black people, uh, as an example and said like, mm-hmm. Oh, America actually is going too far here. So we're not going to go quite that far in the way that we, um, you know, have this, this, uh, campaign of terror and cruelty. Like we're, we're not going to quite do that. And they were like basically picking and choosing from, uh, examples of how Americans treated their own citizens. Um, and, and that's like, Nazis are doing that, folks. Like this is, you know, this is not a uh, uh, a joke. This is very, very serious stuff. And this book is is pretty heavy, but it's also like really um, eye opening in terms of uh, just putting things in a different context, a broader context, more of a historical context. Instead of, like I said, there are so many people who are just like racism is bad, and like in a lot of folks' minds, that just means KKK or like I would never. Uh, treat somebody who looks like me differently. Racism must apply to other people. But Wilkerson in this book is basically just saying like, we're all a part of this caste system in the US. And like, even the dominant class um, is, is, uh, is subject to negative outcomes from this system. It's, it's a system that, um, that has all sorts of like terrible consequences across the board. So anyway, it's a really, really great book. And it's also the basis for an upcoming movie called origin that, uh, Ava DuVernay, is directing that i think played at the venice film festival and is going to be coming out later this year so um that's part of the reason why i read it. i I had had it on my shelf for a little while and um, my wife had read it a year or two ago and said it was really good and so i finally uh, used that as an excuse to launch it to the top of my reading list so that is called cast the origins of our discontents it's very very good um definitely recommend reading it what have you been reading bj anything
4: um, so I'm currently waiting for Britney Spears' memoir to stop being sold out. Um, but because the internet is what it is, a, a big chunk of her memoir has been released online, either through people doing kind of like breakouts um, and articles about it or getting clips from the audiobook, which is narrated by Michelle Williams. Um, because I find Britney Spears to be a fascinating character. Um, she's also... I mean, not character like person, but, you know, also pop culture figure mm-hmm. um, because, you know, she was very, you know, pivotal to my upbringing as a millennial. Um, for those that don't know, BJ is short for Brittany Jade. And part of why I don't go by Brittany Jade is because growing up, there was that immediate connotation of, oh, your name is Brittany, like Britney Spears. And it made me crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I really want to hear things from her perspective and her voice because she was also stifled for a very long period of time. And I do like that we're in this culture right now where we're sort of reckoning with the way that the late nineties and especially the early two thousands used cruelty as currency and weaponized it specifically against women in, you know, positions of, of notoriety and in publicity. Um, But that book had like, it is sold out everywhere, everywhere.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I saw some people say, like, they they got lucky because uh, they were able to check it out from their local library. So that's an option, too, maybe. For for Mine is on
4: hold. I checked.
3: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Excellent. Um, Cool. So do you remember what that's called, the the memoir? It is called The Woman in Me. Excellent. Okay, cool. Uh, All right. Let's get into – actually, before we do that, let's take a break, and then we'll be right back All right, let's get into what we've been watching. BJ, what have you been watching recently?
4: All right, so the first thing that I watched is a coming-of-age French movie called Girls Can't Swim. Um, This came out... uh, I want to say like 2007 i could be completely wrong i might be making that <laughs> up completely um but it is a coming of age story about uh two young women who spend every summer together like they don't live near each other during the year but their families vacation in the same area so they have like this friendship that is like seasonal and uh this is taking place during their 15th summer together and 15 is an age where uh you know Sometimes you still are clinging to childhood and sometimes you are fast tracking, running towards adulthood. And that's what we're seeing here is one of the girls is very much like that, that's kid stuff. I'm not doing that anymore. And the other mm-hmm. one is still, you know, not quite ready to grow up yet. And it's the conflict that happens between the two of them. Um i I mean this like complimentary it is very french (laughs) it's like a very (laughs) french coming of age movie um but it goes in a direction towards the end that i will not spoil but i was very jaw dropped and again i was like only the french could pull this off um because it goes in a direction you're not expecting it's like well this is a very sweet coming of age story dealing with very serious issues and then hard left (laughs) um so (laughs) i recommend it but just keep that in mind mind so if you're like i watched this and that went places i wasn't expecting i warned you
3: (laughs) okay good to know yeah so that's called girls can't swim evidently came out in france in the year 2000 and came out in the u.s a couple years later so 2002 um there we go (laughs) so yes girls can't swim all right uh what else have you been watching
4: um, so the next one is I watched a movie called Down Low. This is another one that kind of goes in directions I wasn't expecting. So the only thing I'll discuss are things that are in the trailers. But it is Zachary Quinto and uh, Lucas Gage. Um, if you don't recognize the name of Lucas Gage, he was on like White Lotus. He was on Euphoria. Um, just very, very talented performer. This is a gay, raunchy comedy. Um, I wish that this movie got the attention that bros did, but I also understand why it did not, because uh, Zachary Quinto in this movie is an older gay guy who has spent most of his life Married with children and closeted and he uh comes out and the first thing that he does is he hires a young masseuse and that is uh luke skage who uh finds out oh this is your first time oh my god well it can't be me let's let's get you a guy on one of these hookup apps the guy in the hookup app shows up there's a little tussle and that guy dies so now it is An old closeted gay who's new to this, and a young gay who's very experienced hiding a body. That's the movie. (laughs) Okay, wow. I have like I laughed the whole time. Um, if it wasn't because. Joyride and no hard feelings and bottoms exist this would have been like the comedy for me of the year i couldn't and i can't believe i've heard like nothing about it um i mentioned this in in the work chat and ryan scott was like that was my favorite movie at south by southwest and it just kind of got unceremoniously dumped onto vod
0: oh wow okay
4: yeah, it's yeah i was
3: wondering <laughs> i was wondering why i hadn't heard of this like what studio put it out or whatever but it seems like yeah it was maybe just a smaller movie that got a vod release without like a big marketing push behind it
4: Yeah, it's it's super funny. And it goes in (laughs) directions I did not foresee. And it it, it's very raunchy. Like this is not a politically correct movie. There's a lot of language. Um, So if those are things that you know, you're not chill with, maybe skip this one. But if you're looking for something with some edge uh, down low, highly recommend
3: Excellent. Uh, and you also had a, a chance to see a uh, what sounds like a special screening of Jennifer's Body, right?
4: I did. I got to see a special screening of Jennifer's Body out here at Vidiot's in Los Angeles with Diablo Cody and Karn Kusama in attendance. Um, it was the first time that Karin and Diablo Cody have ever done like a public appearance to talk about the movie since the movie's... Um, a theatrical run in 2009. Um, they've both done things separately, but never together. And it was really wonderful to see. Um, and Diablo Cody was like, I have not heard people, you know, respond to this movie in a theater um, since it came out in in the theaters. And. In case people have forgotten or they weren't around then um, Jennifer's body is a movie that was maligned like heavily maligned when it first came out it's only been sort of reassessed in recent years so this was kind of her first time hearing people who get the movie uh, react to it and it was it was very wonderful to like bear witness to that to see see her be like yeah we get it like here's here's the audience that was always meant for this movie which was just really lovely um but some of the things that I wanted to share that they talked about which I thought was really cool is um Diablo Cody talked extensively about how these like mid budget movies that she's known for making like Juno and Jennifer's Body and Tully um she was like these are the only movies I know how to make and these are the only movies that I want to make and was like very much championing these mid-budget kind of studio indie pictures and it was just a delight and then so then today uh you know the trailer dropped for lisa frankenstein the new movie she wrote with uh, zelda williams directing it and again that's like a studio indie mid-budget kind of genre picture Mm -hmm. and i don't know it's just really cool to me that you know diablo cody is an oscar winner right like she won an oscar for juno but the trailer for Lisa Frankenstein does not say like Oscar Winner Diablo Cody it says like Jennifer's bodies Diablo Cody mm-hmm. and to me that like that is the mark of like the reclamation is complete the like culture has Changed its tune on Jennifer's body. I am very vindicated. It took a long time, but we did it.
3: <laughs> yeah, yeah, and also it seems like Lisa Frankenstein probably has more in common with Jennifer's body, like tonally, oh, totally. than it does with Juno. So it makes more sense for them to use that as the, in the ad campaign, anyway. But um, yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, so cool. Uh, was was uh, Karen, Karen Kuskama, Excuse me. Um, I've seen her. And a couple Q&As, I want to say I saw her uh, when she made this movie called Destroyer a few years ago with Nicole Kidman. I want to say mm-hmm. I saw like a Q&A with her after that. Um, and uh, The Invitation was another one that she made in, I want to say it was like 2015 now. So mm-hmm. geez, that's like eight years ago. Um, but what were her feelings about the movie n- now? Were, was she in that same boat of like uh, experiencing what it's like to see this movie with a crowd in the same way? Did she have any um, oh, definitely. things that stood like- out to you?
4: She was really thrilled uh, to just see how it has been continued to resonate. And Karen Kusama has been working on Yellow Jackets. Uh, she directs, she directed the pilot. She d- usually, uh, I think, she's an executive producer on the show as well. And so now she's also working with actors who jennifer's body is very formative for them and Hmm. so that has you know she talked about that a little bit of like you know how she's constantly meeting people where this movie is like one of the most important things to them and you know she's like if you would have told me that in 2009 i would have told you you were crazy because everybody hated the movie um (laughs) but one of the things that i like really loved the most is how she she was commending how a lot of these like young talents now they have no fear in telling people in positions of power, like, no, that's not what we're doing and how different that is compared to 2009 where like one of the big problems with Jennifer's body was how it was marketed. Like they marketed it towards you know young men to basically be like megan fox is hot here you go Mm -hmm. when that's not what that movie is and so it took a while for the right audience to find it and she's like that's not the world that we have anymore like these like young 20 somethings they know that like this show or this movie like only succeeds if they're on board so you know they they have they're taking their autonomy they have no problem pushing back like it's it's a totally different world than what it was. And you know, that was her big takeaway that she is excited more than anything is that people are really okay being like, Nope, this is what I like. I don't care what other people have to say.
3: Yeah. (laughs) That's awesome. Um, okay, cool. So, uh, let's see, I guess we'll get into what I've been watching. I had a chance to see, this is a little while ago now, uh, Taylor Swift, the Eras tour, the movie. Um, have you seen this yet, BJ?
4: Woo! No, cause all my theaters have been sold out. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah,
3: that's right. Um, yeah. So, uh, really long experience for somebody like me who isn't only familiar with Taylor Swift, uh. Via the main hits that I've heard occasionally on the mm-hmm. radio over the years, um, I'm not a Swifty, but I wanted to see this movie, kind of to see like what all the fuss was about. And um, you know, th- there are long stretches in this where I was like, I have no idea what the song is, but uh, <laughs> I-, I will still say I really enjoyed this experience because it is incredibly impressive what she's able to do just from a stamina perspective alone. Like the the idea of like putting on a three and a half hour show. Um, going through fifteen plus years of her uh, discography is like, and and sounding great the entire time while doing it is just like incredibly impressive on a human level. Um, we uh, ran a review of this on SlashFilm.com that Mike Shutt wrote for us, and he kind of points out like the show itself is really impressive, but the filmmaking in this movie is not super impressive. It kind of just feels like cameras are there and and just taking this all in and like taylor swift is impressive and the stuff that she and her background dancers and and all the performers on stage are doing is uh is unbelievable but like the movie that is is the result of that the the way that the camera moves and the way that everything is edited together is not necessarily like the best uh marriage of like the best way to translate all of that. Um so I kind of felt that in the three and a half hour runtime. Like you spend a long time um I do when there's a song that I don't know, spending more time I spend more time like uh looking at um or sort of like appreciating the movie from different angles instead of just like rocking out to the song or or like bopping along to the tune or whatever. I'm I spent those moments looking at the filmmaking choices and kind of scratching my head occasionally at, at certain decisions that were made but uh I would definitely recommend this to people because it's it's just a lot of fun and like there's so much here and and uh so many different styles on display that like even if there's a certain era of her music that you don't really appreciate that section is over and on to the next thing so quickly um that you know, th- there's plenty for everybody to like here. So uh, yeah, just really, really impressed is sort of like my big takeaway from this whole thing. So um, I'm also looking forward to seeing the Beyonce doc, which is coming out in theaters. Oh, in... I
4: can't wait for the Renaissance tour doc. <laughs>
3: yeah, so that's like early December. And that one is much more of a behind the scenes thing mixed in with the live performance, which I think I will appreciate in contrast to this, because this was just the straight show, like all the way through which is again like incredibly impressive and like so um, uh, dizzying and spectacular but like I kind of wanted to know a little bit of what she was thinking about it and and sort of some of the decision making that went into it and I think we're probably going to get a little bit of that uh, side of it um, in the Beyonce mm-hmm. doc so uh, looking forward to that uh, I also had a chance to see beef the Netflix show that came out earlier this year I finally caught up with this I heard great things about it earlier this year. Did you watch the show by any chance?
4: Oh, yeah. Um, Beef, like, okay, so the song, song, the show uh, was met with a little bit of controversy due to, like, one of the casting decisions, um, uh, which, like, I don't super want to get into. Mm -hmm. So I think, like, the the show kind of, like, hit really hard and then, like, fizzled really quickly because of that. But like taking that out of the equation and just assessing it as a piece of art, that is one of the best seasons of television I've ever seen in my life.
0: It was,
3: um so there's 10 episodes of the show. I personally feel like it would have been perfect at maybe like eight or something. I kind of felt like it dragged just a little bit in the middle. There were, we watched it um sort of like we doled, we didn't binge all the way through it. We, my wife and I watched it like doling out episodes slowly, like watching one here, one night, another night, that kind of thing. And there were a, a couple in the middle where I was like, ah, should we watch something else? Maybe like, you know, basically like punting it for another night or whatever. And, and, then once it gets into its end game, it just becomes like so incredibly propulsive. And it starts out really propulsive as well. Um, I just felt like it kind of lost steam a little bit in the middle. But man, the performances, Steven Yun and Ali Wong in particular are just like incredible in this. I don't know if I'd seen Ali Wong really in, I mean, maybe like supporting roles or something here and there. Um, I've never seen any of her stand up. Uh, and I was just kind of blown away by her I thought she was I- incredible um it's always great to see Steve on he's been you know a familiar uh, person to me for many years but like uh, I I personally came away f- from this whole thing going like wow ali Wong I want to see what she does next so oh my
4: god so um, I'm obsessed with Ali Wong like I love her stand-up specials I also she had a um like a one of those like supporting roles that could be viewed as a leading role on the season paper girls on prime that got unceremoniously canceled too early. Mm-hmm. Um, but she is so magnetic and I binged beef in one day. I watched wow. 10 episodes in one day because <laughs> I just, it was, it was one of those days where like my wife was working a double. So I was like, well, I got to kill 12 hours. I'll clean the house. <laughs> and so I just put beef on and I just didn't clean the house. <laughs>
3: <laughs> oh man uh yeah well yeah uh i will just say yeah it ends spectacular and there's a, i think it was the second to last episode is my favorite of, of the whole series and things just escalate to a level that you just do not expect even mm. from the first episode which like things get wild in episode one and then just kind of uh you know spiral out of control from there so uh beef is currently streaming on netflix if you want to check that out uh, I also watched, uh, caught up with *Werewolves Within*, which came out in 2021. I was looking for like a sort of quasi-spooky Halloween season-friendly comedy to watch, and this fit the bill. But I, I honestly like had heard such great things about this that I think my expectations were set a little bit too high because I did not mm-hmm. think this was nearly as funny as uh, people made it out to be. But um, Sam Richardson stars in this. And he's basically playing the same character that he's played in pretty much everything. Um, If you've seen, you know, the After Party on Apple TV, on Apple TV Plus, for example, you know exactly what you're getting into in terms of like what flavor of Sam Richardson this is going to be. And, you know, it's got a nice supporting cast like the I I appreciated the um, the bones of the mystery and all of that kind of stuff. But it just like. I don't know. It kind of left me wanting a little bit. I thought there was, maybe it was a missed opportunity in terms of like the uh, comedy side of the horror comedy combo there. Um, did you see this movie?
4: I did. I quite enjoyed worlds within and um, <laughs> it's going to be kind of a, a dorky thing to say, but I kind of don't care. Um, but the other lead in this is Milana Vontrub. Um She's an actress and she's a comedian. I think she is fantastic. Um, most people know her as um, the AT&T girl.
0: Yes, yeah.
4: (laughs) Um, And I have like such, like the same way that I have like a crush on Flo from Progressive, I have a crush on Lily, the AT&T girl. So like getting (laughs) to see her actually act and play a character was really exciting for me. Um, But I also saw this like right when it came out and everyone was like really hot on it. So it was like a fun communal event. So I should probably revisit it to see how I feel about it because it was very much like, everyone I knew was excited about this so then I watched it and I was also excited Um, so I remember (laughs) having a lot of fun with it and finding everybody to be fun and funny but I'm curious how it plays you know with distance
3: yeah and uh, you know maybe I'm just the uh I don't know spoil sport or something like because like I said I've I've heard such good (laughs) yeah I've heard such good things about it that um, that you know maybe I'm sort of the odd man out in this situation but have you ever uh, played werewolves within uh, I've not played the video game. I've played the sort of party game or a version like of it. like Mafia or any Yeah, else. yeah. Okay, um,
0: cool, cool.
3: So I, I had a little bit of that uh, baseline of knowledge going in, but this is really, it works as sort of like a, uh, I don't know, almost like a murder mystery
0: combo yeah. of,
3: of that. So um, it, it's it was like cleverly done and all that. It was like a perfectly fine, nice movie. I just like was hoping that it would be more like laugh out loud funny. And it, I don't know, maybe my... Um, my funny bone sensor was off or something, but, uh, Werewolves <laughs> within is streaming on Netflix on uh, Hulu. Excuse me right now. If you want to check that out. Um, a couple more things I wanted to mention real quick, uh, from the mixed up files of Mrs. Ba- uh, Basil E. Frankweiler. Do you know this book by any chance, BJ? Did you read okay. this book when you were a little girl?
4: Yeah. So I read the book when I was a kid and that is kind of my extension of <laughs> knowing what it is.
0: Yeah. So this, uh,
3: This book used to be my favorite book as a kid, and the concept is these two uh, kids, a a brother and a sister. Um, I think the girl is like twelve years old, and her brother is a little bit younger. They run away from home and they hide out in the Metropolitan Museum of Art in New York City, and they live there for I think it's a week. And they sneak around from the security guards, and they like sleep in beds that are on display. And there's this whole mystery that comes into play with uh, an angel statue and the author of the statue like trying to figure out this who the sculptor was like did michelangelo the the famed uh, renaissance artist act, was he actually the the person who created this and Uh, and then there's this old reclusive woman who previously owned the statue who comes into the story um, late in the game, and she sort of reveals the truth behind the origin of the statue. Um, Really, really wonderful book. I think it won like the Newbery Newbery Prize back in the day, and uh, I didn't realize that there have now been, I think, multiple movie adaptations of it over the years, and I just happened to be scrolling through uh, TCM and saw that uh, a movie version from 1973 was coming up soon. So I, I DVR'd it and Ingrid Bergman plays, uh, Mrs. Basil E. Frankweiler in this movie. Yeah. And she is wonderful. <laughs> like like, it's perfect casting and, uh, yeah, just a real joy to see her in this role. Um, I think this version of the movie got a, a different title for home video or something. It's called. It's also called The Hideaways. So if you're looking for it and you stumble across that title, that this is the same project that I'm talking about. Uh, so yeah, I would recommend this. It's it's uh, very very 1970s. Like the score <laughs> uh, sounds like you know what everybody does when they fake porno music in terms of like funky guitar and all that kind of stuff it just sounds very much like that and like the aesthetic and the costumes and everything it just feels like they made a movie about kids who were living right that second there was no effort to make it timeless or anything it's just very very early 70s uh but um yeah especially the Ingrid Bergman of it all Made this uh, a really satisfying watch to me. So um, there's also a version that came out in the 90s. I want to say Lauren Bacall played. Yeah, um, so I
4: think I saw that in like elementary school. On like a, we have a substitute teacher today. We're watching a movie. I want to say we watched that because I remember Lauren Bacall.
3: Okay, cool. Yeah. So I haven't seen that version. I'm now. I'm curious to watch it and maybe compare the two. Um, but uh, yeah, this is just an excuse to bring up this title and. Um, and recommend that people read the book if you haven't, or especially if you have kids and and they haven't read the book, give this to them because I loved this book growing up. And um, yeah, I thought it was a, a fun adaptation. So that's called From the Mixed-Up Files of Mrs. Basil E. Frankweiler. Uh, last thing I wanted to mention, I watched for the very first time a movie called Practical Magic from 1998. Uh, again, I was in the mood for like a Halloween season, uh, sort of spooky season watch or something that wasn't like an ultra scary horror movie or anything. And uh this movie stars Sandra Bullock and Nicole Kidman, and they play sisters who are witches. And uh, really, really weird freaking movie, I have to say. Uh, I assume that you know this movie well, BJ. Uh, Um, I I don't know if you know this about about me,
4: Ben, but I'm a white woman. So, of course, I've seen (laughs) Practical Magic and I'm a huge fan. And there are only some things that I know for certain. Like you always throw spilt salt over your left shoulder, you keep rosemary by your garden gate, you plant lavender for luck, and you fall in love whenever you can.
3: Uh, (laughs) Uh, Yes, I I know Practical Magic. (laughs) I knew I was talking to the right person. Uh, So, Griffin Dunn is the director of this movie. Which is surprising to me because I hadn't. I don't think I've seen any of his directorial work. He he was the star of Martin Scorsese's After Hours, by the way. Um, but uh, yeah, so great cast in this movie. Uh, Stalker Channing and Diane Weist play um, the sort of um, matriarch uh, uh, witch members of this family, and Sandra Bullock and Nicole Kidman are the young members of the family who grow up into these young women. And there is a uh, a. Let's see, how, how would I describe this? Nicole Kidman's character is more of like a free spirit who leaves the the nest and uh, becomes involved with this sort of like rock and roll, like trashy guy who ends up essentially ruining her life. And um, the two of them, the two sisters come back together and uh, I'm, I'm trying to get into this without really spoiling things, BJ. How would right. you describe the plot of Practical Magic?
4: um okay so we have witch sisters which is you know it, it's also the 90s witch sisters which is very very important because we were big on witches in the 90s and so all of them also kind of look like cute artsy mall goths which i'm a huge yes. fan of <laughs> um so uh, jillian is nicole kidman's character um and her boyfriend is uh he's you know something happens to him um and because of that the girls decide they need to kind of go into a like a like a crash course of of magic um to figure figure out you know what 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 happened uh what's yeah i think that's a
3: good way of describing (laughs) it that's the best way
4: i think to do it um and you know if you're practicing magic and you're not super good about it, uh, consequences happen, and then you got to deal with the consequences of your magic actions.
3: Yeah, yeah, that's a great way of describing it. So, um, it, you know, this movie just it, it ping pongs wildly in tone from something where... Faith Hill's This Kiss is blasting on the score and, like, or on the soundtrack, and people are walking through this brightly colored, super cute little town, and there's a wonderful, you know, seaside house, and everybody, everything seems warm and cozy, and, like, it just feels um, you know, like a, like an old Navy commercial or something from the late nineties. And then there's like real dark, serious stuff that comes into play in this movie. And it is just like, it feels like whiplash going back and forth between these tones. And then there, it, it jumps back over to like a, a potential romance when, a like a, a state investigator comes along to try to figure out what's going on. And, uh, Sandra Bullock's character gets involved with this guy. And I, I just didn't really buy the the, uh, the romance between these two characters. But the, the entire movie hinges on you really like believing that they are meant to be together. And so I, I don't know. I, I just thought this movie was kind of all over the place. And I was like, I, I did not watch the trailer going in. But watching the movie, I was like, <laughs> what on earth is the trailer for this movie? Like, how do you sell the, the crazy difference in tone? that this movie sort of uh, bounces around in, in like a two minute TV spot or something. I I was just kind of like baffled by uh, how this movie exists in its current form. But um, I know it's, it's certainly gained cult, classic status and has uh, apparently the uh, the love and affection of every white woman in America but um but yeah I guess like what are your thoughts now on practical magic like do you like this movie legitimately do you think it's just like a fun frothy watch like what's your oh take
4: it's on that it? it's that like like <laughs> A thing that I want people to get used to doing is incorporating the word and in your vocabulary, because all too often, if somebody likes something that is maligned or is bad or what have you, it's like, but, but I love it. No, 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 it can be bad and you love it. It's okay. And Practical Magic is one of those movies for me. Midnight Margaritas, all day, every day. I love this movie and I recognize the logic and tone is bananas (laughs) and that's part of the fun because it, it it does fall into this like very unintentionally campy world, but it's also a world where everybody on screen looks like they're having so much fun and I would like to join them.
3: Yeah. Yeah. That's a good way of putting it. Uh, so practical magic. I want to say this is also streaming on Hulu. I'm pretty sure that's where I watch it as well. Um, but yeah, if you're looking for like a, uh, I guess a spooky season Halloween kind of thing that that gets goes to some uh, some surprising places, but is not like dark and gory and um and you know sort of like an intense horror movie for people who like don't can't handle horror movies. I feel like this is a good sort of um. I don't know. <laughs> Even saying middle ground makes this movie seem more extreme than it actually is. The but- way
4: that I always pitch practical magic to people is like the same way that people are like, I love the movie Mermaids or I love the movie Mystic Pizza. This has a very similar vibe, but it's like spooky edition.
3: Yeah, there you go. Okay, yeah, that's that's perfect. All right, well, yeah, I'm, I'm glad that uh, you were on this episode to, for me to talk to this <laughs> about BJ because I, I knew you would appreciate what I was talking about. I'm
4: here so to be the about. practical magic truther of slash film.
3: <laughs> all right. Excellent. I think that's going to do it for today's show. You can find more about the stories that we mentioned on today's show at Slashfilm.com and linked inside the show notes for this episode. The Slashfilm show is published two times a week, bringing you the most exciting news from the world of movies and TV, as well as deeper dives into the great features you can find on the site. You can subscribe to the show on Apple, Google, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps. Please subscribe to our newsletter, send your feedback, questions, comments, concerns, and mailbag topics to us at bpearson at slash Make sure to leave your name and general geographic location in case we mention your email on the air. Don't forget to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Tell your friends, spread the word. Thank you so much for listening, and we will talk to you next week